Hi, I'm Roger Blackmore. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church on Long Island in New York. Thanks for downloading our podcast. I hope it's a blessing to you. If you want to learn a bit more about our church, then check out our website, genesisli.com. And of course, if you live within traveling distance of us, we'd love to see you in person on Sunday morning, worshiping with us. So here's today's message. Enjoy. Now, last Sunday morning, I began a new teaching series called The Generous Life. I I was tempted to veer off, go down some avenue, you know, about how to overcome fear and how to do this and how to do that and how to hear God in a crisis. But you know what? I felt that at the start of the year when I worked out what our teaching series would be for the first six months, that if God was guiding me there, what I'm sharing these Sundays will be relevant. And a lot of people said last Sunday was. So I want to continue our story or our journey through this topic of the generous life. And today I want to talk about generous grace. Generous grace. When when I first started pastoring, I thought it was like my responsibility to point out people's flaws and to tell them to get it straight. Because I thought that's what pastors do. And you know, it was several years before I came to realize that my role actually is to help people with their imperfect lives and to encourage them as they rebuild. Because life's complicated at times, isn't it? I like the words of the great theologian Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson once said this, he said, Everybody's got a plan till you're punched in the face. Everybody's got a plan till you're punched in the face. And you know, the truth is we've all been there. We've all been there. Merrily going along in life and suddenly we're punched in the face. And some of you, you know, you're reeling right now because that's happened. You're not working because your job's been shut down. You're not working. You've had to be laid off. You, you, you won't have an, a paycheck uh, at the end of this week, and you're not sure where things are. Life seems so okay a couple of weeks ago. The week, year was getting off to a good start. It was almost springtime a couple of weeks ago, and then suddenly you get punched in the face. You might be struggling just now with a broken relationship. You may be tearing your hair out because your kids are so out of control. Everybody's got a plan until you're punched in the face. This is a good time to remember these words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where he said this. Oh, he's quoting what God said to him. God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, God, I've got these things. I wish that you would just take this away from me. I've got this that I'm struggling with. And God said to him, listen, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God said, my grace is going to bring you through. My grace is going to help you through. And though you feel weak, the truth is you've got the benefit of my strength. And if there's one thing all of us really needs to grasp, we need to grasp God's grace. For two reasons. 
One is we need to grasp God's grace for our own good. And secondly, we need to grasp God's grace because until we do, we won't be able to show grace to others. Because you can only give what you've got. Last week we started out in this verse here, these two verses in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 and 38. Jesus said, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Given it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want to go back to the first part there. Jesus said, don't judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Jesus wants us to be gracious towards others. But the only way in which we're really going to be able to show grace is if we've got a grasp of the grace of God ourselves. If I'm not going to be judgmental, if I'm not going to be condemnatory, the only way that I can do that is to be living in a place where I am convinced that God is not judgmental or condemnatory towards me. God likes you. God enjoys your company. Generous grace begins with a generous God. Because what you believe about God's grace influences what you believe about everything. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 is a Bible verse everybody really ought to know. You really ought to get a hold of this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Or you don't have to memorize the whole verse. Take four words for today. God is for us. You got that? God is for us. Now, I know there it says, if God is for us, but that's using if in the sense of since. Since God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us for us. And once we get a hold of that and recognize some of the extent of the love of God for us, of the grace of God towards us, then we're living in a place where we can be gracious, where we can be loving, and where we can build others up instead of pulling other people down. A study was done of a, of a, of a huge section of Christians, and they were asked the question, when you think about God, what do you think is the main, the first emotion that God feels when about you? So thousands of Christians did this survey. What's the main emotion God feels about you? And the number one answer was disappointment. Disappointment. Now, these are people who, these are Christians, right? These are people who sat through, Lord knows how many church services. Listen to who knows how many services. These are people who sung the words of hundreds and thousands of worship songs, had read who knows how many times they'd, they, they read, read parts of the Bible, and yet for all of their Christian experience, they had never grasped the fact that whoever they were and wherever they were at and whatever stage of development they were in, God loved them. All they felt was God was disappointed. God was disappointed. 
And I know where some of that can come from because some folks have got beat up by life, some have got beat up for them by them, you know, they've beat themselves up, and some have got beat up by preachers. Years ago, <laughs> it's a phrase I use often nowadays because I was around years ago. Okay, so years ago, we used to sing a hymn that went like this. It starts with, he is not a disappointment. Jesus is far more to me than in all my wildest daydreams I'd imagine he could be. I want to turn that around this morning. And I want to say those words again. And I want you to consider this is actually God talking to you. And God says, you are not a disappointment. You are far, far more to me than in all my wildest daydreams I'd imagined you could be. You are loved by God. You are special to God. You are not a disappointment. In fact, in the book of Zephaniah, it's there somewhere if you look for it. In the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3 and verse 17, it says this. It says, the Lord your God is with you. That's a great start, right? The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. That's what it says God does. It says God's so happy that God sings songs about you and me. Now, I know how you can miss grace. I know that because, like, I was saved guilty. Now, I don't mean I was saved because I was guilty, but I mean I came to know Christ and I immediately became guilty because the context I was in was quite a conservative church situation, and we had rules. There were certain things Christians didn't do. Man, I remember the first time I ever went to that church. I was 11 years old and went to the youth group. And one of the youth leaders, you know, welcomed me and, and was very friendly indeed and asked me my name and whereabouts do you live, what school do you go to, what do you like to do? And my friend who had taken me, he was part of that church, when the guy said, what do you like to do? My friend whispered, don't say you go to the movies. So I didn't. But I did go to the movies. And I found out after a little while there were things you weren't meant to do if you were part of that church. And going to the movies was where wicked people went. And, and, and people just say, if Jesus comes back and the second coming happens, and if you're in a movie theater, do you think he'll take you? I didn't know. I was like 12, 13 years old now, and I didn't know. I gave my life to Jesus just in, in 1962, and I faced an awful dilemma within months. The first James Bond movie was released. No, the first ever. Now, there were two dilemmas, really. It was a PG, and I wasn't old enough to go by myself, but I did. Um, but but the, the other one was, like, I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm, seriously, I'm sitting watching Dr. No, and I'm thinking, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. 
And when I went to church the next Sunday, and, and the pastor's preaching about people who've, who've failed and have let down the standards, when he finished preaching, I started praying for God's forgiveness, because I watched Sean Connery. No, it wasn't Sean. Yes, it was. I watched Sean Connery in Dr. No. I felt so guilty. Pop music. Pop music was from the devil. You've just got to look at the Rolling Stones, and it's obvious, right? And it's like, you know, pop music is the devil's music. I was saved feeling guilty. It's like I felt bad because I didn't match up, and I wasn't good enough. And, and you know what? I liked music. I loved the music of the 60s. It's when they stopped making good music. I loved it all. But I felt so bad about me, and it's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm just not good enough, and I don't know if God's happy about me or with me. And I want to tell you what I've come to realize. If you don't live in God's grace, you're not living at all. You're not living at all. And the fact is, if we don't live in God's grace, we've got no grace to give to others either. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says this, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not our best efforts, it's not who we are that makes us a child of God. It is the grace of God that forgives us and brings us into His family and blesses us. John chapter 1 and verse 16, from His abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Isn't that great? One gracious blessing after another. Right at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, we read this. I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They're his people. He's their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good, tears gone, crying gone, pain gone, all the first order of things gone. The enthroned continued, look, I'm making everything new. Write it all down, each word dependable and accurate. And that's the picture that's given us there of heaven when God wraps everything up of God making everything new. And, and there, as part of that, God says to John, write it all down. Why? Don't forget it. <laughs> Some of us know that nowadays, right? If you don't write it down, you'll forget it. God said, John, write it down. Write it down. Write it all down. I am making everything new. And that's the story, actually, of the Bible. That's the story of creation. That's what the whole of your life and mine is working towards. It's working towards when God completes the process of making everything new. And while we're on that journey, He extends to us grace upon grace. We're on the journey towards being totally renewed. And on the way, on the way, there are challenges. On the way, 
there are slip-ups. On the way, we fail, but God is taking us towards everything being new. Elizabeth Hansen was, uh, was home one day. She was stuck in the house and couldn't go out. <laughs> Sound familiar? And uh, so she, she was stuck in the house and couldn't go out. You know one of the great things? You know all the things you never had time for? Guess what? You've got time for them now. So, all, so she decided she'd been going to clean out one of her closets forever. And she's stuck in the house and thinks, you know what? I'm going to clean the closet today. So she goes into the closet, starts pulling out clothes that she really should have got rid of a long time ago. And she kind of cleared stuff out right in the back of the closet. Was a, there was a green coat that she'd had years ago. I mean, the color wasn't remotely fashionable even now. But it was worn. It was done. So she pulls the coat, yanks it out, puts it on the top of the pile of clothes. And her son had said that he would actually take them and drop them off for her at a, at a thrift store. And when her son, when Jim came along to, to take the clothes, he said, hey, hey, mom, you're getting rid of that green coat? She said, yeah, that's really had its day. He said, can I have it? She said, you're going to wear it? <laughs> no, she didn't. Uh, but um, she said, whatever for? He said, well, you know, I've had this idea of kind of a little hobby I'd like to try. I want to make puppets. And that would be cool. That would be good. That coat would be good. To, just to give me a try. So, so he did, and, and he, he started cutting it out, and he, made a, he, he actually made his first puppet, and it was shaped like a frog. And he got a ping pong ball and cut it in half and gave the frog eyes. Yep, Kermit was born. Because Jim Hansen's the guy who started Sesame Street. And out of that tatty old coat that seemed to be good for nothing... What actually came was, was a TV series and whatever else, books and all kinds of things that influenced the whole generation, right? I mean, Kermit actually had his own movie. I know his love life with Miss Piggy got a bit messed up at times, but, but the, fact is, the fact is, out of, out of all that, so here's this old raggedy coat that was going to be thrown away, and what actually happened was something came out of that that's been a help to loads of people. Listen, I'm going to tell you this, every single one of us is a raggedy old green coat, but what God does is God takes a hold of us and he makes us into something that's a blessing to a lot of other people. Grace Grace, grace, and God's grace in us leads to God's grace coming through us to other people. I love that. Love that. Now, you see, some people, some people's Bible is a couple of chapters short. Some people are a couple of chapters short, but that's another issue altogether, right? Uh, no, some people's Bibles are a couple of chapters short. Like, some people's Bible starts at Genesis 3 and ends over in Revelation chapter 20. Genesis 3 is Adam's sin. It's the fall of man. Genesis chapter 20 is judgment. And it's like the whole of their Bible is sin, sin, judgment, judgment, sin, sin, judgment, judgment, sin, sin. Get the idea? And it's like, that's all they'll talk about, that's all they'll preach, and you know, you know that, that's all that's there. But that's not the whole Bible. The Bible starts, this might be, this is worth getting up for this morning. The Bible starts at Genesis 1. 
The Bible starts in the beginning. In the beginning was perfection in the garden. And then the Bible goes to Revelation chapter 22, which is a new heaven and a new earth and the city of God. The whole of the Bible is a story of a journey from the garden to the city. And that's the story of our life too. The garden, when we were born, innocent, innocent, pure. And then we have our falls, and we have our stuff, and we sin, and, and, and life gets complicated. But God starts the process of restoration, and we are all somewhere in that process of restoration. But here's where it ends up. It ends in the city. It ends here. It, it ends with perfection. It ends with God completing, renewing what started and got messed up. That's the story. But how do you get from the garden to the city? I'm going to tell you this. It's not through your guts. It's not through your grit, it's through grace and through grace alone. God's grace brings us from the garden to the city. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 30 in verse 3. God, your God, will restore everything you lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places where you were scattered. God will restore you, have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places where you were scattered. If you're, if you're watching this Sunday morning and you're in a place right now where life's punching the face and it's like what's around you seems broken pieces, you've got to hear what God says. Not your worst fears, not the advice of the wisest and even most caring of friends. You've got to hear what God says. God says, I will restore everything you lost. Have compassion on you. Come back and pick up the pieces from all the places where you were scattered. That's God's promise. When I look back over the years that I've pastored, uh, I'd, I'd say it's, uh, well, I know for sure, I've been punched in the face every decade. Twice some. As long as like every decade in ministry, there's been something that absolutely hit me, whether it was something in my family life, whether it was something about me, whether it was something that went down in the church or blew up in the church or whatever else. It's like every decade I was punched in the face. But I'm sitting here this Sunday morning to tell you this, that almost 50 years later, I can tell you grace always helped me. God's grace picked me up. God's grace loved me through it, and God's grace has kept me going, and God will do the same for you. Grace upon grace. And having received so much grace, I've got some grace to give to others. Now, some of you that are regular with us are getting worried now because you say, Roger, you, you always have a sermon with three points in it, and you're thinking, I haven't heard three points yet. I'm coming to those now. Now you're really worried because you think, how long is this guy going to go on? Good thing is you can actually switch off your TV, right? But don't do that yet because this is going to be brief. <laughs> now, there are three quick things I want to mention to you, okay? And these are so important. 
particularly if you're feeling now life's punch you in the face. Three things I want to say. Number one, your past does not disqualify you. Your past does not disqualify you. Where you have been is history. Last year, we, we did a, a teaching series where we looked at some of the life of the Apostle Paul and how God turned him around from being somebody who had Christians killed to being a strong proponent of the gospel. And here's what he says about himself in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I am the least of the apostles, do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His past. He lays out his past there. He says, I persecuted the church of God. But you know what? His standing was not based on what he had done. His standing was based on this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And it is the grace of God in us that makes us who we are. He wrote this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. He said, here's the word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof. Public sinner number one. Public sinner number one. He spoke, Christ came to save sinners. Your past does not disqualify you. Generous grace, by the way, also recognizes that other people's pasts don't disqualify them. Jesus said, don't judge. Don't condemn. Your past does not disqualify you. Secondly, your weakness... No, let's go to number two. Sorry, I got that wrong. Your circumstances... Did I just get lost? Your past does not disqualify you. Your circumstances do not define you. Where you are is not who you are. What you're going through does not say who you are. In fact, what all of us need to realize is, is, is who God sees us as and who we are in His eyes. And that's real clear. 1 Peter 2 and verse 10. Once you were not a people, get a hold of this, but now you are the people of God. Who are you? The people of God. You got that? Once you were nobody, he says, but now you are the people of God. That's my identity. That's my identity. You may have lost your job just this past week, but I want to tell you this, that hasn't changed your identity. Your financial security may be blowing in the breeze right now. And, and you know what? That's a difficult thing. But that hasn't changed your identity. You may go every day online and see where your 401k is going down and down and down and down and thinking, I will have to work till I'm 167 years old. But that does not change your identity. Once we were nobody, but now we are the people of God. And if we're the people of God, that comes with benefits. God, that was a good statement. That wasn't in my notes. If we're the people of God, that comes with benefits. That is fantastic. Love it. Your circumstances don't define you. Never forget who you are. And then thirdly, your weakness does not limit you. Your weakness does not limit you. Remember 2 Corinthians 12, 9, we looked at it earlier on. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength, my power is made perfect in weakness. 
So he went on and said, he said, so that means when I am weak, then I am strong. If you're feeling particularly vulnerable in life right now, I want to tell you this, God's strength is made perfect when you're weak. When you are weak, you're going to be strong because He's going to give you strength. When you can't, He can. When you're afraid, He's got it. When you don't know where to turn, He wrote the story before the world began. He's got it. And He's got you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27 says this, isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? God uses people that are weak. Okay, so look at that verse. Look at the guy on the screen in front of you. Isn't it obvious? God deliberately chose people that the culture overlooks. It's like him? No, I don't think so. God takes ordinary people, uses ordinary people, because God doesn't want people who've got it all because there's no room for Him. So God takes ordinary people so that actually what happens is that He is able to do His stuff with them and through them. Punched in the face? Not the end of the story. God's grace. Jeremy Brown played for the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks a while ago. He was a big guy. Base running was not his strong point. So he's at the plate there one day, and he's, uh, he swings, and he, he knows by the feel of it it was a good hit. And so he starts trundling up the first baseline like as fast as his bulk would carry him. And, and then as he's breathlessly approaching first base, he sees the first base coach is excitingly telling him to keep going. And he's thinking, am I going to get a double? <laughs> Can I survive a double? And, and, and he turns first base to head to, 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 towards second. As he turns first base, he trips on the bag. And he goes stumbling along the line towards second base until he, until he lands like flat on his face in between first and second. And a split second while he's there, it's like, what the heck am I going to do? And, and, and so he, he, he's there, and he turns around on his belly, and he starts crawling back to first base, and he hits the bag before he gets tagged. And then the first baseman says, keep going, you hit a home run. <laughs> I love that story. Don't spend your life in the dirt, scrambling back to first base, but recognize with God with you and God on your side, this is going to be a home run. And keep going, keep running, keep pushing forward. God is with you. God is for you. God is making everything new. God showers His grace upon us. We need to be gracious to ourselves, and then we need to be generous in showing grace to others. Let me finish by telling you a Bible story some of you will be familiar with. There was a woman who came to Jesus. One day, Jesus was at dinner, uh, invited to a dinner uh, at a home of one of the religious leaders, you know, the kind of religious leaders who don't go to the movies and don't listen to pop music, that kind of religious leaders. And he went to dinner there, and while they were having dinner, there was a woman who came in. And this woman came in, and she had a, 
a jar of incredibly expensive ointment with her. And she crept in, and, and you know, in those days, you didn't sit at a table, you kind of reclined at a table. And she came to where Jesus was and took this jar of expensive ointment and opened it and poured it all over Jesus' feet. And, and, and the, one of the religious leaders, the host there, a guy called Simon, said, you know, if, if, if he was who he says he is, he'd know what kind of woman that was. And Jesus told her, your sins are forgiven you. And here's what it says, Luke 7, 47. She was forgiven many, many sins. And so she is very, very grateful. People who experience God's grace give God's grace. Listen, live under the grace of God. Know in whatever ways, when you are weak, you're strong because He's with you. And let's, especially in these tense times, let's be gracious to others. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Let's lift up and let's build up. Let's pray.